following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. If you are able, Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And Father, we ask that you would open your hand and satisfy us with every good thing this morning, that you would satisfy us with yourself, that you would satisfy us with the truth of eternal realities, and you would stamp those on our minds and our hearts, and you would renew and refresh our souls this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and a few announcements, things that are going on here at Grace Church. Uh, both our men's and our women's ministry have things starting up. Men, we have a quarterly event coming this Saturday morning, so sign up online. Let us know you'll be there. Our, our Men of the Word Friday morning Bible study starts back up on Friday the 29th of January. Women of the Word Thursday mornings on the, starts up on the 21st, and there's child care for that. And there's also a Friday morning Zoom Bible study for the ladies from 9 to 11 if you're interested in that. Next, we also have a baptism coming up next week during second service. So I was telling first and third that they could come to second to see the baptism. But if you come to second service again, uh, there will be a baptism next week so we can celebrate and rejoice in that. And lastly, we'd like to welcome new members. And so uh, we have quite a few today. We have Aiden Van Eck, Brian and Jennifer Pam, Daryl and Aaron Christian, and Bailey Dillard. So if you see them, say hi to them, welcome them. And uh, right now, Pastor Mike's going to come up and give one final announcement. All right, I want to invite the deacons and deaconesses up to the front. We get to do something joyful. We're praying for, commissioning a bunch of new deacons and deaconesses, but want to put all of them up before you so that you see who they are. So uh, who is serving in this capacity? So our church is obviously built on Jesus Christ. As Andrew said, we're a Christ-centered community and tent we really want to proclaim the gospel and make disciples and sacrificially serve Jesus. And Christ is the head of the church. And then our leadership structure is, comes right from the Bible. We have elders. We have a plurality of elders that we look to Christ as we lead you. But we also have deacons and deaconesses. And so starting from the far end over here, we've got Pat Monroe, Judy Licata, Tom Radmilovich, Paul Phillips, Karen Audison, Judy Clark, Kim Durflinger, Alice Holbrook, Jack Hansen, Jim Slazis, George Miklia, and Peter Woodson. We also have uh, Susan Clark as one of our deaconesses as well. And we just want to uh, celebrate them, put them before you, and pray for them as they continue to serve. Many of them are continuing to serve. And then we have five new deacons and deaconesses, Judy Clark, Kim Durflinger, Jack Hansen, George Miklia, and Tom Radmilovich. And so in the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove blameless. And we are all in leadership serving under Christ, knowing that we don't live perfect lives, but we deeply desire to please the Lord, uh, to grow in Christ, and to serve his church. And as the elders lead, the, the deacons and deaconesses come alongside and help us as we shepherd the flock. And they are involved in lots of different ministries. We're very thankful for their willingness to serve. And right now, we're just going to stop and pray and commission them as they serve the Lord, as they look to Christ, and serve you as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us, for your mercy, for your love, and thank you for these who are saved by you and being sanctified and willing to serve as servants serving your church. We pray, Lord, for Susan and Alice and Judy and Patrick and Karen and Paul and Phil and Peter and Jim and, and Judy and Kim and Jack and George and Tom. Lord, thank you for them and for their families and for 
of their hearts to serve as compassionate leaders in every place that you give them opportunity. Lord, give them strength. Uh, Thank you for their humility and their willingness to serve. And thank you, Lord, that we serve by your grace. Just as we're saved by your grace, we serve by your grace and the strength that you supply. And so we look to you and we want to honor and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we continue our service worshiping through song?
chapter 9 this morning, and we will read and Pastor Mike will preach from verses 7 through 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we'll start in verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. You may be seated. We're going to uh, pray together this morning, and we want to remember our missionaries in the Middle East, Steve and Maya and Cad. And so we'll remember them as we pray. As we pray for them and as we pray for one another as well. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we exalt you for who you are. We ask, Lord, that you would help us like like you inspired Solomon to write here. Help us to be content and enjoy the life that you've given us, whether plenty or whether we're in need, whether we have comfort or whether we have pain and difficulty. Give us contentment in this life because you are enough. Your grace is enough. Your salvation and your kindness and your patience is enough. And so, Lord, help us to trust you and teach us to be content in whatever circumstances you place us in. Father, we pray for the CADs this morning in their ministry. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage them, that the gospel would go forth in, 
in that predominantly Muslim area that they are, that the, the light of the truth would shine and that Jesus would be exalted and lifted up and that people would be saved through their work and their message there. Father, we pray that you would impress on us a sense of your majesty and your glory and your honor and your beauty. Give us a sense of your love, the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of Christ. Press that onto our minds. Press onto our minds your patience and your understanding with us, your children. God, press onto us a conviction over sin and a sadness that we have wronged you and turned away from you and ran in the opposite direction of what will give us true and lasting joy. And Father, impress on us uh, the, the eternal realities that, that Christ has conquered sin and death by his death on the cross and paid for our sin. And so now we can be free. We can have joy with you forever. Help us to trust you more this morning. Humble us under your mighty hand so that we would have deep and lasting joy forever in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus more clearly this morning. That our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be made clean. That we would see and know and love and trust this Jesus who you sent to save us. We ask and we pray in his name and by his blood. Amen. It was around about 1995 that my family and I took a trip down to Mexico, down to Rosarito, Mexico, and we helped plant a church. And we would go several times a year and go down to Mexico, so we got used to driving through Tijuana. And probably the first time we went, you know, we were the tourists in a way, and so we, we stopped and said, let's go do a little bit of shopping in, in Tijuana. And so we did that, and, and I noticed something really interesting on the uh, the street corners, and it was it was startling at first, and I thought, wow, this is this is odd, this is this is different. I didn't expect it. And the next thing I thought was, kids, come on, we need we need to uh, take a picture with this. And it was a zebra on a street corner, like a zebra. And I'm like, I didn't know that these were you know native to the street corners of Tijuana. And so I was like. Kids, we got to come take a picture with this zebra. And interestingly, as you're walking down the, the streets, you'll notice there's a bunch of zebras. Like every corner has a zebra. And, and I went up to one of them because I want to take a picture with the kids. And I realized something as I'm walking up. It was a burrow with, with stripes painted on. It was, it was false. It wasn't a real zebra. I felt really, you know, cheated. I was like, wait a minute. But it's interesting, this is just how you and I can be in life. You know, we are heartsick over our sin, we're heartsick over evil in the world, and we are homesick for heaven, and we just paint on a smiley face, we get fake, we put a mask on, we pretend like we are something that we are not, and we pretend that we are feeling things that we are not. And isn't it easy to, when you think about joy, because today we're in a passage that is about enjoying life. Enjoying life. Isn't it easy to pretend like you're enjoying life? That maybe on your social media, on your Instagram or Facebook, you're like, I'm going to present a picture that I'm very happy, even if I'm not inside. And I'm not going to share those moments where I'm not happy. I want to look happy. And even today, you might have come to church today and, and put on a happy face, painted on the stripes, made yourself look like a zebra instead of a burro or a donkey. Isn't it easy to fake it? This passage of scripture we're going into today, in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 10, it's all about enjoying life because of God. Now, this passage just lays it out really clearly to us, and, and it really does build on last week, where we saw that God decrees and decides destinies, but we destroy. We are sinfully depraved, we are uh, deliriously idolatrous, and we mess things up, but God is good, and we must trust him, we must depend on him. We must worship him, we must obey his word, we must proclaim the gospel. And, and I made the the comment last week that the word of God is like a sledgehammer because it smashes our idols and our idiosyncrasies and all the, the false universes that we imagine. But this should be like a breath of fresh air today because the word of God is also like a cooling balm. It's like an air conditioner on a hot day because here in this passage is comfort for the believer. I want to make this clear right up front so you can grasp what this passage is saying. And, and really, it's saying this. Number one, that for a believer, what do we mean by believer? Someone who's trusting in Jesus Christ, apart from their own works, they're trusting the finished work of Christ on the cross, in their place, as their substitute, shedding his blood. As the Bible says that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He's returning. He's promised to return. 
And so a Christian, someone who has placed their faith in Christ, in Christ alone, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that person is enjoyed by God. That's the first thing this passage tells us. I I want you to try this on for size because I know a lot of you are going to struggle with this concept and you've struggled with it your whole Christian life. The number one thing this passage tells us, and we can't understand the passage unless we understand this first thing, is that God enjoys the believer. God enjoys the believer. The second thing this passage tells us is that the believer then is to enjoy God and enjoy the life God gives. Not taking God's gifts and making them into idols, but worshiping God appropriately because he enjoys you, you enjoy him, therefore you can enjoy life. And that is really the only way you can truly enjoy life. As a believer, knowing you're enjoyed by God, God is pleased with you, God approves you, and then you enjoy him because he enjoys you and you enjoy the life that he gives you. This is what this passage lays out for us. I want you to first think with me about this idea that God enjoys the believer. Many of you are going to struggle with this. Many of you have been struggling this your whole Christian life because you have this idea. Well, my, my family doesn't like me so much sometimes. My friends have rejected me. Things have gone badly in life. God must think the same of me as well. I want you to put your eyes on verse 7. This should be a healing balm for your soul. This should be like a breeze, a cool breeze on a hot day. Verse 7 says, Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. I want to focus in on that phrase, God has already approved what you do. That is the word for God being pleased with you. That is the word that means that God has made a redemption for you, that he has chosen to redeem you, that he has chosen to pay the penalty that you deserved. And, and by the way, the gospel runs all the way through the Bible. from Genesis 3.15 onward. And this is just drenched in gospel truth. But if you're a believer today, you can say, wow, I got some gospel right here. In fact, this here is the closest Solomon, Koheleth, the preacher, gets to stating the doctrine of justification by faith. God has already approved what you do. Enjoy life because you're enjoying God because he enjoys you. Wrap your mind around that. Try that one on for size. Have you ever stopped to think, God is pleased with me. God accepted me. Colossians 3 says we're accepted in the beloved, in Christ. We're told in in Ephesians 1 that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. Can you wrap your mind around this thought? God enjoys you if you are a believer. Zephaniah puts it this way, he rejoices over you with singing. He loves you. He cares for you. Some of you are like, but, but, what have I, but look what I've done, even since I've been a Christian. And, and you think that God one day is going to, is going to find out, because you forget that he knows everything, and he's going to say, you know, I changed my mind about you. God says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. There's your eternal security, believer. You come to Christ. He will never cast you out. You will never be disappointed by Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This verse says, God has already approved what you do. He loves you. You don't have to strive for his acceptance. You can stop striving for his acceptance and rest in his beautiful love and realize the gospel truth that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and you think you're the foremost, just like Paul thought he was and just like I think I am, but God enjoys you. Some of you are going to keep rejecting this idea over and over again and you need to let the truth settle in into all the nooks and crannies of of your soul until it overtakes and you realize 
Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. If you're a Christian, God called you, he indwells you, he empowers you, and he enjoys you. God has already approved your works. Justified by faith. This is why, if you grasp this, this is why you can enjoy God because he enjoys you and you can enjoy this life that he has given you. Even with the heartache, even with being heartbroken over sin in your own life, with the evil you see in the world, even with being so homesick for heaven, that there are days and there are moments that you just cry out in your soul, come Lord Jesus. Set me free from the bondage of this decay. The addictions, the, the idols, the disappointments. But when you know that God enjoys you, you can enjoy God. So if you get this first point settled in your heart, or maybe, maybe, for your growth in Christ today, maybe it's just, okay, I'll try it on for size. I'm, I'm pushing against it. I, I, I'm having a hard time. I, I'll admit to you, I have a hard time saying God enjoys me. You try that one on for size. Let it start settling into your soul. Then you'll be able to understand what this passage is saying about these really four arenas of God's enjoyment in our life, of us, and how we then can enjoy him and the life he gives. Well, let's just dive right into those four arenas. Let's go back to verse 7. Look at the beginning of verse 7. Go. That's a command. Go and do this with confidence in God. The word of God, like a sledgehammer, breaks your idols, and God is pleased with you, and you can enjoy him and enjoy this life. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. God has already approved what you do. This is the idea of contentment. Be content with everything God has given you. But don't complain. How many times? Not with a show of hands, but how many times? No, let's do the hands. How many times have anyone here complained about what's for dinner? Inside your mind or with words? Oh, I can't believe we're having that, right? I mean me, and I'm a snob when it comes to olive oil. If I can't have the really dark cold-pressed olive oil, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then there's things that, you know, only taste good because of the gift of garlic that God gave us, right? There's all of that in life. And, and we just, you know, put our noses up over things, and we're not content with the food and drink that God gave us. We have so much. We will say, will we not? We'll walk in, we'll look in the fridge, we'll look in the cupboard, there's nothing to eat. Funny? It's filled. <laughs> Contentment. Go. God enjoys you. Enjoy him. Now back up with me for a moment. Before we dive even deeper, let's talk about enjoying God, shall we? Enjoying God. Before we talk about enjoying this life, it's so easy we just run in and, and make everything an idol. Let's talk about our enjoyment of God Almighty. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 4. This, this Psalm 32, 1 says, be glad in the Lord. Psalm 16, 11 says to God, at your right hand there are pleasures forever because in your presence there is fullness of joy. We can enjoy God. Romans 5, 11 says, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can only enjoy God when you are accepted in the beloved, in Christ. Many of us like to quote the first statement of the Westminster Shorter Confession. Some people can rattle it off so quickly, just like they can rattle off John 3.16. What's the chief end of man? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. This was written in the 1600s based on the word of God saying, what is our chief end? What, what is our biggest job in life? To enjoy God. To glorify him. 
to love him. But hardly anyone knows the second statement of the Westminster Shorter Confession. We all just go, oh, glorify God and enjoy him forever, and then you can just be out and, you know, spin out into some kind of idolatry. The second statement anchors the whole thing. Here's the second statement. What rule has God given us to enjoy him forever? In fact, it basically says, what's the only rule that God has given us to enjoy him forever? And the answer, the word of God, the Old and New Testaments, that is the only rule to direct us how to enjoy God. And here, the preacher in, in Ecclesiastes is saying, here is how you enjoy God. He, ha- he enjoys you. So you enjoy him. And you enjoy the life he has given you as an act of worship. So let's talk about this contentment. I love how George Mueller was said to have expressed himself. And and by the way, this is encouraging because a lot of times people in the past will write things down and, and we think, well, that must have been their testimony all the way through. And he makes it really clear in his writings, oh no, this has not been my practice most of my life up until this point. And now God is is showing me something here, how God enjoys us and we enjoy him. Here's what he said. George Mueller, the first business to which I ought to attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. To have my soul happy in the Lord. He says the first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how much I might glorify the Lord, how much I might get my soul into a happy state, and how my, but how I might get my soul into a happy state, how my inner man might be nourished, where I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit un- to believers. I might seek to b- relieve the distressed. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all of this might be attended to in, in, in a wrong spirit. Like you can do all the things a Christian's supposed to do with the wrong attitude, with the wrong motive. You first and foremost must have your soul enraptured by who God is and his greatness and his glory and his grandeur. And then you can enjoy life. And then you can do the things that Christians are called to do. Contentment. Not complaining. Contentment. What did Paul say? I have learned to be content in every circumstance even as you are heartbroken over your own sin or heartbroken over the evil in the world, even as you are hungering for and thirsting for righteousness, even when you are homesick for heaven, you say, I am content with what I have right now in life. Forget about all the things you want next. Can you say in this very moment, I am contented in Christ. I have all I need because I have Christ, and he enjoys me, and I enjoy him, and I will enjoy this life, the, the, the food and the drink that, that God has given me to enjoy. As simple as that, as baseline as that, as front of mind as that might be, as, as some of us get so hungry that we say we're starving when we're not, that we would enjoy God. And the simple things like food and drink that he provides. Move on with me to verse 9. The next idea is comfort. Comfort. What does it say? Verse 9, enjoy, uh, excuse me, verse 8. Verse 8, move on to verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. What, What does that mean? The idea, this was written in a very hot, arid climate. And it said, wear white garments. It reflects off the heat. It helps you be cooler. It's talking about clothes. Don't wear dark clothes in a hot desert climate because you'll be hotter. And God enjoys you and he actually is saying, I want you to be cool. (laughs) And what about the oil? It's literally anoint yourself so that your skin doesn't crack. If you could see my knuckles right now, they're like sandpaper. It's been dry recently and I started putting lotion on too late. So now I'm just putting lotion on sandpaper. There's cracks all over them. God is saying, like, 
You enjoy me, enjoy the food and drink I, I provide for you, and enjoy your clothes and use beauty products. Use deodorant, use toothpaste, please. Some of you use more breath freshener. Use the things that God has given us. And don't make them idols. God enjoys the Christian. The Christian enjoys God. And the Christian can enjoy lotion and a shirt. And not worship them. Just say, wow, God is so good to provide me the things I have. Comfort. Amy Carmichael is one of my favorite writers. She was a missionary to India. But before she was a missionary to India, she grew up in the late 1800s in Belfast, Ireland. And she grew up in a very uh, upper-class home and neighborhood. One day when they were walking home from church as a family, uh, she and her brothers saw a, a beggar woman in a neighborhood that she wasn't supposed to be in, carrying a very heavy load, and they ran to her to help her. You should have seen the looks they got. They got all these looks like, how dare you go help that lady? She's not one of us, and she's not in this neighborhood. And then what she did, Amy Carmichael had a heart for the Lord, and she had a heart for people that were suffering. And so she went and started a ministry to little girls called Shawleys. The reason they were called Shawleys is because they didn't have money to wear a cap, and they were living on the streets, and so they would pull their shawl over their heads. They were called Shawleys, and she would go and feed them and clothe them. But she said, you know what? I'm not going to be worried about my own comfort. I'm going to live in the rat-infested building they're living in, and I'm going to eat the meager food that they're eating if I'm really going to show them the compassion of Christ. And then God led her to, in, to, um, to England to do the same kind of thing. And then God led her to India, where she would rescue little Hindu girls, little Indian girls that were being uh, kidnapped and, and used for immoral purposes in the Hindu temples. And her idea was, I am not going to worry about my own comfort. But isn't it easy to be worried about ease and comfort? I know when I'm at a restaurant with one of you, I'm, I look and see who gets the bigger portion when it comes to the table. I know that when I am getting onto an airplane or getting into a car or sitting down somewhere, I, I want the good seat. We want ease. We want that. But what God is saying is you enjoy me, enjoy what I've given you, even in the idea of the comforting things of life, but not ease, not just for you, not where it makes you the, 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 the number one person of importance. No, more along the lines of Colossians 1.18 that says that Jesus Christ must have preeminence in everything. Therefore, we give up our seat. Therefore, we go and feed those that, that have no food. Therefore, we, we give our clothes to those who don't have much. Contentment and comfort now we move on to verse 9. Companionship. Companionship. Verse 9 says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. He's talking to men. The Bible is very clear that marriage is between a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a, or a woman and a woman. So he's speaking to men here. Enjoy life with the, woman, with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Marriage is God's idea. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that very clearly. In Genesis 2, verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, cut the umbilical cord of dependence and allegiance, and hold fast to his wife, stick to like glue, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one. The Bible is clear about marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Every marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church. Even the worst of marriages. The question comes, what kind of portrait of Christ in the church is your marriage giving? Or let's say you're not married and you're looking forward to marriage. What picture are you wanting to have as you move into marriage of Christ in the church? Paul David Tripp wrote a book about marriage. It's a great one because a lot of you are like, you know, marriage is awesome, but I live with a sinner. I'm married to a sinner. Here's what his, his book title was. You can take the whole book and the title. Here it is. What did you expect? You married a sinner. Oh, you're, you're disillusioned now? It's, it's tough? And they married a sinner too. What, what, what did you expect? Tim Keller wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage, and he gives this beautiful picture of of uh, one day being in heaven and meeting your spouse there and saying, wow, look at you, you're radiant. I knew you could be like this. I saw glimpses of it here on earth. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, on April 9th, 1945, he was engaged to Maria von Metemeyer. And on that day, April 9th, 1945, he was hanged at dawn, age 39, John Piper wrote a book called This Momentary Marriage, and he tells this story, how Bonhoeffer never married. And he put it this way, he skipped the shadow on the way to the reality. His calling was martyrdom, not marriage. But if you're married, if you're anticipating to be married, enjoy life with your spouse. You're a sinner. You're going to do things that are sinful, Life isn't going to always be perfect. You're to enjoy God because he enjoys you and therefore enjoy life. And you notice it says enjoy. You're going to seek enjoyment in your marriage. And whom you love, you're going to give affection. And it's going to be lifelong, all your life. And this is a bit of encouragement from God. And all your toil in which you toil under the sun that you choose to live in holy marriage under a holy God, knowing that God is sanctifying you as a believer, but you're not perfect yet. And you can enjoy God and enjoy life with the spouse that God has given. To even cherish, not control. So there is this contentment that God gives not complaining, but contentment because he enjoys us and we are to enjoy him and enjoy this life, contented. And, and even comfort that God gives and companionship that God grants. And then look at verse 10, the circumstances of life. Look at verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Like work. There is no work or thought, no planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And Solomon is presenting the view of the afterlife that was present in that day. He wasn't making a statement about whether you're going to heaven or hell. He was just saying, you're going to die and your time on earth will be up. And so your time to work and to plan and to gain knowledge and to have wisdom to know what the right thing is to do is now. It's like carpe diem. Horace said that in, in 23 BC, and he said it in a godless way. Like, you have no hope for the future, so get what you can now. But a Christian, enjoyed by God, who's enjoying God and enjoying life, says, I'm going to seize the day now. I'm going to wring it dry of every opportunity. Like Jim Elliott said, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And I'm going to redeem the time because the days are evil and because I have a living hope. If you're a Christian today and you want to grow in Christ, you're going to need to try that thought on for size again and again that God enjoys you and that you are to enjoy him. That's your, your highest calling of life, 
to enjoy him and then enjoy the life he gives. Don't idolize the life he gives, enjoy it. Have fun with life. Like, relax, don't feel so guilty about your food or about your clothing, unless you've made those things idols. The circumstances of life, what do you do? You just do the next right thing. You just do the next good thing that would glorify God and, and be the good, for the good of someone else. I love the way that David Gibson put it in his book, Living Life Backwards. He said this, he said, sin fractures everything. It distorts everything. It means that we cannot understand everything. But sin does not uncreate everything. I think if we were to tap into the preacher's worldview here, and what Koheleth and what Solomon is saying, he would say, God enjoys you. You enjoy him. You glorify him. You adore him. You cherish him because he cherishes you. And he's pleased with you and he's accepted you. And enjoy this life. And enjoy the life God gave you. Don't go through life with a frown on your face if you're a Christian. Don't go through life and say, you know, this is a bad world. Go through life and say, God is a good God who made a good world. It's been marred by sin, but God is going to make all things new. And every good thing in life is just a reflection of the goodness of God. And I'm homesick for heaven. And I'm heartbroken over sin and over evil in the world. But I'm just going to keep doing the next good thing. I like how N.D. Wilson put it in his book, Death by Living. He said this, he goes, ride a bike, visit the Grand Canyon, go to the theater, learn to make music, visit the sick, care for the dying, cook a meal, feed the hungry, watch a film, read a book, laugh with some friends until it makes you cry, play football, run a marathon, snorkel in the ocean, listen to Mozart, call your parents, Write a letter, play with your kids, spend your money, learn a language, plan a church, start a school, speak about Christ, travel to somewhere you've never been, adopt a child, give away your fortune and then some, shape someone else's life by laying down your own. That's what we do when we realize we're enjoyed by God. We deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ with a smile on our face, with joy in our heart because we are enjoyed by God and we are to enjoy him and enjoy this life he has given us. That's a true biblical view of being sanctified in Christ and living this life in light of death, living this life in light of eternity where we redeem the time. We don't squander the time. We seize the day. We go for it now because this is the moment to love your family and to love your friends and to preach the gospel and to do whatever it is that God lays upon your heart to do the good thing because in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forever. Even as you are heartbroken over so many things you are seeing and experiencing and feeling and hearing, even as you're so homesick for heaven. Do you know, it's so easy for us to think, well, all the bad things of life make me homesick for heaven. Do you realize that all the good things of life make you even more homesick for heaven? All the good things of life should make you even more homesick for heaven because God is giving you a foretaste, a, a taster, a, 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 a just a tempting view of heaven every time you experience something good in this life. In Revelation 21, we read these words. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. 
God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Enjoy this, God. And enjoy the life he gives you. And Lord, we thank you that we can do this. You've given it to us. You've given us this life. You've given us life. And every believer can say, praise God, I have eternal life in Jesus Christ, not by my own doing, but by, by his doing I am in Christ. And I want to live to the full. I want to live with every ounce of energy you give us. I want to dive in wholeheartedly, with confidence, before a holy God who has accepted me and rejoices over me and is pleased with me and enjoys me. We will enjoy you and enjoy this life for your glory and the good of others until you come again or call us home, whichever comes first. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we close? Jesus.
God enjoys us, so we enjoy him. We enjoy this life by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love doxologies in the Bible. Usually they're at the end of letters, but I want to read you two. One at the beginning of Ephesians and one at the end of Jude. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.